And so today, I, I just, as I was dealing with Christmas and, and I know that, that the, the season and we don't want to continue to focus on, uh, on the, 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 the virus that's going around the world, but I know many people were at home alone as I walked in today. I was speaking to a couple of people and I said, how was Christmas? And it was, it was, it was kind of lonely because there was nobody there. You know, the, the family wasn't there. And then they, they said though, but at least I have family that although they couldn't get here, at least the family, I have them. Uh, I know there's some people that are alone all the time. And I thought, wow, how real that is and what a perspective. So I wanna talk to you about disappointment this morning. And I know that you're going, man, we just left Christmas, we're excited. But can I tell you that during a season when everyone is excited, sometimes, Christmas and after Christmas, going into that new year, sometimes we can deal with disappointment and, uh, and we've all dealt with it. We've all been there when disappointment has ruled and as a kid, you may have been like me and been disappointed sometimes. My mom and dad were very good to me. I, uh, if you don't know my story, uh, I was adopted when I was very young. I mean, I don't even know, I don't remember anything but my mom and dad. I was probably... Uh, best we can tell was adopted around six months and uh, they they are my mom and dad I do I don't know uh, ge uh, geological I don't know biological hey it, it's a problem it, it happens all the time but uh, my biological parents but but my mom and dad took care of me my dad was very thrifty very very uh, uh, good manager of money so when I wanted something I, I could usually get whatever I wanted uh, I won't say I was spoiled but I just uh, when I was a high school uh, getting ready to drive my dad said son do you want a car now you got to remember this is 1982 1981 somewhere in there so when I say what I got you're gonna go "Ooh, you really are spoiled but back then it wasn't really that big of a deal. I was only 15 years old. I said, yeah, I think I'd like a Mustang. A 1966 Mustang. I'd seen it on the road. It was $1,500. And my mom said, son, don't you want one of those fancy Trans Ams? I said, no, mom, I'll be happy with that. So I was never the elaborate guy. But if you want a treehouse and your mom and dad give you a, a, a book of sketches that you can draw your own, Treehouse, it just really doesn't seem to be the same. And that's kind of, Christmas to me sometimes was like that. I was always like hoping for the moon and ended up getting moon dust, you know? And uh, I, I, I kind of get that. The, uh, several years ago, and I really need to apologize to my wife. I don't know if I've ever really done this before. A couple of years ago, it was probably 15. We were here in, in Griffin and, and uh, we had a Christmas and... Do you remember that Christmas I gave you those two plates that you hung on the wall? Oh, yeah, I do. I've never really apologized for that. I mean, people get jewelry and rings and perfume, and I gave her two plates to hang on the wall. I don't know why. I really can't. I don't have any. And I'm like, I'm sorry, honey. I am so sorry. I, I really apologize. I can imagine the disappointment you got when you opened that up and went, wow, two decorated plates. Thank you, Mark. You think I'm kidding, it's the honest to God truth. And I, I don't believe I've ever said that to her before. And I apologize, Michelle, for the disappointment. And then as you get ready for the new year, you go, oh, all of these woulda, coulda, shouldas that you know you're gonna walk into and you're like, man, it's a new year. And isn't it amazing how the new year sometimes doesn't come off the way you'd hoped it would. 
that you, you go in going, I've got great dreams, I've got great vision, but it just doesn't come off like you'd hoped, and we deal with disappointment. And then we love to pass it on to other people. If only he or she or they would have done this or that, then I wouldn't be dealing with this. And we deal with the disappointment of people. And so today I want to just kind of walk you through some things that I think will help you. Martin Luther King made this quote. He said, we must uh, accept finite disappointments, but never lose infinite hope. We must accept finite disappointments, but never lose infinite hope. Guys, we have to get past our limited knowledge of today and move forward into the future without disappointments. There was a movie made in, I think it was 2014. It was called Santa Con. There's a con man that, that goes in into a, to a, to a, a, a mall and becomes a Santa. And he makes, a, he makes a pledge to this kid. Kid comes up, sitting in his lap and says, you know, I want my mom and dad to be together for Christmas. And the guy says, I'll make that happen, son. You can't make that happen. How many of us deal with disappointment that other people say things and we go, oh, that's going to happen. But how many of us get disappointed because God doesn't move fast enough for us? That he makes promises to us and because it doesn't happen tomorrow, because it hasn't already happened in our lives, we deal with the disappointment. I remember Bill Lee being here, I mean Bill Wilson being here a couple of months ago. You hear Bill Wilson's story about his mom leaving him out on the, on the street saying, son, I'll come back. I love American Ninja Warrior, one of the guys that was, that was trying out and, and running the course when they always tell the stories at the beginning. He has kind of the similar story. At four years old, his mom just walked out and left him. He said, I do this because I have to achieve because my mom left me. We all have different disappointments in our life. We all have different places where life has left us. And can I tell you that the devil knows how to use those disappointments. Everyone in this room, no matter who you are, can say at some point in your life you've been disappointed by something or someone. And the enemy knows how to use it. There's a little story that's told about the enemy and it says as he was, he was going to put all of his tools that he had used to destroy people's lives, he was going to put all the tools on sale. And on the date of the sale, the tools were placed for public inspection. Each was marked with a certain sale price. And there was a lot of tedious amounts that were, that were out there that he had taken great care in pricing these items. Hatred, envy, jealousy, doubt, lying, pride, so on down the line. All these tools that the enemy had used in people's lives. But apart from all the rest of the tools was one harmless looking tool, well worn, but priced very high. Someone of the purchasers asked, What's the name of that tool? And the adversary said, oh, that's discouragement. He said, why is it priced so high? Well, because it's most useful to me than any of the others. See, I can pry open and get inside a person's heart with that one. And when I can't get near to him with any other tool, I can use that one. And now once I get inside, I can make him do what I choose. 
It's a badly worn tool because I've used it on almost everyone since people know it belongs to me. Can I tell you, we all have faced disappointment. And I want to tell you some reasons why, and then I want to tell you how to beat it. Is that okay? It's not just important enough to know what causes it because knowing your enemy is important, but you have to know how to defeat it. So what causes disappointment? If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to probably throw the scriptures up on the screen. There's no PowerPoint this morning. You're not going to have the points up there. But I want you to recognize we're in, in Haggai chapter 2 for most of the morning. So if you've got your phone or you want to watch online, I mean, watch on the screen. Haggai chapter 2. Verse three, the first thing we have to do and the first thing that causes disappointments is the things we remember, okay? Haggai chapter two, verse three says, does anyone remember this house, this temple in its former splendor? The verse continues to go on, but I want us to stop right there. Does anyone remember this house, this temple in its former splendor? Haggai had prophesied in 520 BC, that the temple would be destroyed in 586 BC. It has been 66 years since Solomon's temple had been destroyed. And if you know anything about the temple, the Jews got to, many of the Jews that were there at that time had seen the former temple. They had seen Solomon's temple. They had seen the aweness of it. They knew the grandeur. They remember how glorious it was with its gold-covered walls. They had seen all the things. They say that estimates are that there was about $20 billion worth of gold on the walls of Solomon's temple. That's a lot of money. That's better than the stimulus package. Well, actually, it's not, but that's another story. It was overwhelming. Have you ever seen something that overwhelmed you? If you've ever been to the Biltmore House, that's an amazing spectacle. But the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life, well, actually there's two things. It was absolutely awe-inspiring. The first was the Sphinx. You see it in your history books. But as a, a, a young married couple, me and Michelle got to go to Israel with my dad and mom. And dad, during that trip, we took the group to Egypt and we walked up and you, you're in the... The, the pyramids and then went around the corner and here's this massive structure. It wasn't beautiful, but it, it was something that I was inspired by. I'm standing next to the Sphinx. Another was David in Italy. Out of one piece of marble, the artist had carved that one beautiful structure. And I was blown away with just his hands and tools to hammer it out. I, it was awe-inspiring. But I cannot imagine what it would have been like to be at Solomon's temple. I cannot imagine the grandeur. And they are recalling the glory days. Do you ever do that? The Shekinah glory had walked into Solomon's temple before. They had seen the power of God. They had seen how God had moved and suddenly they were asked to remember those days. And those people were looking back at what was and looking forward to what was being built. And it didn't stand a chance. 
It wasn't close to the glory of what Solomon had. These Jews remembered. And sometimes your memory can become a curse. The Jews' memory was a curse to them because they looked at something that could never compare to what was in their past. Because they had not only remembered the past, but they chose to live there. They chose to stay in the past. Instead of looking at what was being rebuilt, they said, it'll never be what it was. And sometimes we remember the wrong things. There's nothing wrong with having memories. But sometimes you have to be careful that you don't get stuck in those memories and hang on to your past because it can cause you disappointment. Another thing that will cause us disappointment is the things we forgot. Haggai chapter 2 Verse four and five says, but now the Lord says, be strong, Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, you guys read it for yourself. There's another one coming here. Be strong, this guy who's son of somebody else, the high priest. Be strong, all you people still left in the land. And now get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord of the heavenly armies. The spirit remains among you. Just as I promised when, I came, when you came out of Egypt, so do not be afraid. What he's saying is, my spirit is still with you. Oh, Abraham's gone. Moses is gone. Joshua's gone. David's gone. Solomon's gone. But I am still here. You have to. To not forget that God is still here. In your midst, in your life, in your walk, in your struggles, in your problems, in your successes, God is still here. Don't forget that. Because Israel had a problem with forgetting what God had done for them and how he had brought them to where they were at today. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you and I will never abandon you. But you're probably like me. Sometimes I forget that. I sometimes struggle with that because I get in the middle of my circumstances and I want to do it my way and I want to have my answers But just like we do with our kids, we're not going to leave them when they make bad decisions. We're going to pick them up and try to help them walk it out better the next time. That, that's what parents do. That's how we help them grow. We say, oh, baby, that wasn't the right steps to take, but I'm not leaving you just because you made a bad decision. And God does the same thing to us. He is with us. He is for us. He is not against us. And he, listen, don't you think for one moment that you can't make some bad decisions and go down some roads and have to pay for it down the road? How many of us as kids had to pay for some of our stupid mistakes, right? Anybody? Come on. You know, yeah, I didn't really want you to raise your hands. Uh, the front row's in bad shape, though. You guys, that's why they're sitting in the front. Yeah, don't raise your hands anymore. Let that go, Francis. You've had a lot, you've had a lot of them, haven't you, Francis? 95, you've had to. 
You're not, she's, oh, she's not 95. 93. Imagine at 93. Yes, woo! At 93, can you imagine how many mistakes? Guess what? I'm 55. She's probably learned a lot more from her mistakes than I have because she's had a lot more time to learn from them. But the great news for me and her both is God has never left us. He says, come on. Come on, Francis. Come on, Mark. Come on, Michelle. Come on. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. Come on. I got you. We're going to do this together. And I cannot forget that in my process, because if I do, I can become disappointed Oh, well, I'm not living up to it. Everybody said, I wish you'd get this fixed. How about that? We're done. Don't forget. Don't forget that he's been there. He's with you. Don't forget that he's for you and he's with you. Philippians chapter 3 verse 13 says this. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved... But I am focusing on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. It is important that you know what to forget. It's important for you to know what to forget. There are some things that you forget and you go, well, I had forgotten that. I think when I was here, what, three or four years ago, when we were talking about missions, I shared the story and I'll just, I'll just briefly share it. But it was here during one of our crusades when, when, when um, Darlene Bishop was here. Michelle knows the story. Hi, she were here. I financially just jacked up our family. My, it, was, it was bad. I mean, it was just horrible. Just to be honest with you, it was downright disgusting. And I got my tax return check back. For people that are in financial trouble, a tax return check is the greatest thing in the world. It's even better than a stimulus check. Because you know you paid that in and you're getting it back. Woo. And so I, I think the check was about $1,200, $1,100. Man, I was... And I was like, oh, thank you, God. I'm going to be able to pay some bills and we'll be able to walk this out. And came to church that night. Darling Bishop's preaching. And she gets to the end and she says, I want you to bring your best gift. And I heard God. Oh, I don't know if you, uh, sometimes you leave your checkbook in the car because you don't want to hear from God. <laughs> and that night, God said, I want you to give me that. I was like, oh. <laughs> I left my checkbook in the car, God. He said, I want it. And then I started bargaining with him. I know you guys don't do this. But I said, I'll tell you what, God, I'll give you 500 now. And I'll give you 500 next week, next month. Let me tell you something. I had enough sense to know and God knew I wasn't coming up with another $500. I didn't have it. I mean, he knew. And I knew it too. But I thought, I'll bargain with you. I'll do half. I just kept feeling this. And I looked at Michelle and I said, I think I'm supposed to get this check. She goes, well, do what God's telling you to do. Walked up, laid it down. And, and I know you guys, God loves a cheerful giver. <laughs> Dude, I was broken. Because it was, 
it was all, I mean, when they talk about the, the, the widow's mite, I mean, this was it. I know that's more than, than two pennies. But I laid it down and I was like, God, you've got all of me now. <laughs> it's over. And when I laid it down, I felt like God said, there will, be, there will come a time when you will need more than this check could ever provide. Okay, here it is. Lay it down. I'm good. I cried. I weeped. There was gnashing of teeth a little bit, I think. But it was God's. I went home. It was probably two years later. Uh, we started feeling like God was releasing us, and we, we moved and ended up moving to LaGrange. Three years in over there, and, and there, we have this, we have the, John Puckett, if he's listening today, we used to have this, this term, we would be DEFCON 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. DEFCON 1 is spend whatever you want, whenever you want, it's great, life is great. DEFCON 2 is just, you got a budget, stay in your budget, everything's cool. DEFCON 3 is, let's watch it, make sure you're careful. If you don't have to spend it, let's don't spend it, but we're okay. DEFCON 4 is, hey, guys, let's don't spend unless you talk to us first. DEFCON 5 is, we're going to recycle the paper, and we're going to put out bulletins on the paper that we used last week. I mean, it was, it was like that. Well, we were, we were right there four or five. It was tough. It was a tough year, and... Man, we were just struggling, and we get toward the end of the year, and I'll never forget the ladies came, came to me that, that uh, morning, on Monday morning, and they said, the deposit was $23,000, and I said, what? Well, we'd been in the 12s, and I said, what in the world? Was it a big gift? And they said, well... It, there was one, one big gift, about $8,000, and it came in on Wednesday night. And I don't know if you guys know this, but nothing really good ever happens on Wednesday night. <laughs> I mean, people don't get saved on Wednesday night. People don't shout on Wednesday night. Nothing really ever good happens on Wednesday night. If you're not here on Wednesday night, you're not missing anything. <laughs> you know I'm lying, but because somebody walked in on Wednesday night and said, here's $8,000, boom, baby. I got filled with the spirit on Wednesday night. Good things happen on Wednesday night. And so I, I was like, really? Wow. Man, ain't God great. And I walked in my office, and I lie to you not, I walked in my office and picked up the phone to call somebody. Not about that, but just something we were dealing with. And I picked up the phone, and I hung it back up. And God brought it back to my mind. He said, do you remember that gift? Five years ago that you laid down on an altar and I told you there would be a time when you would need more than a thousand dollars guess what it wasn't about my finances anymore because God had healed all of that with the help of my dad and and me and Michelle working our our tails off we we were past the financial struggle it was about the church going I would, it's like your kids, you know, sometimes you'd rather your kids be blessed than you be blessed. You'd rather your kids have a good Christmas than you have a good Christmas. And it was like that. It was like, God, thank you for blessing our church and thank you for coming through. And it was like, I had to be reminded of that. Sometimes we forget the things that need to be important to keep us from being encouraged. You need to be encouraged and not discouraged today. 
because God is for you and you forgot some things that he's brought you through and you need to back up and go, okay, God, help me remember who I am and whom's I am. All right, that's not the right word, but you know what I'm saying. Who I am and whose I am. Don't be discouraged today. God is for you. Comparisons will make you disappointed. Haggai chapter 2 verse 3, the end of that verse that we didn't read a few minutes ago, it says, how does it look to you now? Does it not seem to look like nothing? Does it not seem to you like nothing? You, you've, you're comparing this temple to the old temple. And this looks like nothing to you now. Because you can't compare the former glory with the glory that's to come. If we're not careful, we'll find ourselves in a comparison game. Not with churches, but with people. We see old people in that time were weeping over the new temple because they couldn't remember the old one. In their eyes, the new temple was useless, not worth anything. And we compare our lives like that. My life's worth nothing. I don't count. I don't have any value. I'm worthless. And we compare ourselves to other people and to other things. And we say, oh, this is never going to work. The problem is comparison game never really helps us. It just discourages us many times. John Gray said this one time, he said, God wants to use broken people because when you are sufficiently broken, you will have grace. <laughs> I'm going to finish the quote in just a second. But when you are sufficiently broken, you will have grace. My great-grandmother was a godly woman, but she was death on divorce. She thought if you got a divorce, you were going to hell and you were going to bust it wide open. You know what? She felt like that until one of her kids got a divorce. And then suddenly, it wasn't near as bad as she thought it was. Let me tell you something comparison game will cause you to start judging others based on your experience and here's the rest of that quote where were you last night you smell like alcohol you smell like weed you smell like pride see because we can judge everybody that don't smell like us but we don't want to smell pride in our own lives do we we don't want to deal with the own guilt and the own jealousy and the own covetousness in our own lives. So we'll just push off our comparison game so that they feel judged by us. But in the end, it leads to disappointment. Stop comparison. God loves us all. We all were broken. We all were lost. And we all needed Jesus. We remember the past being better than it was so that the present seems worse than it is. <laughs> I love that quote. And I'm going to say it one more time for you. And if you're taking notes, you want to write this one down. You may want to put this on your mirror at your house. 
we remember the past being better than it was so that the present seems worse than it is. Stop comparing. You'll be disappointed every time. The past is never quite as good as you remember it. And never quite as bad today as you think it is. Stories told of Seabiscuit. I remember Secretariat because I'm, I'm a young, I mean, I'm, I'm an old, I'm a young guy. <laughs> but Seabiscuit was back in the 30s. Secretariat was like the one that, the, the horse that I remember, but Seabiscuit was, was the Secretariat of its time, of, of, of its time. And the horse was so powerful and incredibly fast that if you got it on the right track at the right time, he was uncatchable. And the trainers that were training other horses in the same uh, uh, lodge, in the same stables with Seabiscuit would run against him to train. And the trainers got mad because the horses would know they could not catch Seabiscuit. They stopped running. A horse is a horse, of course. And no one can talk to a horse, of course. Unless, of course, no, never mind. You know, I do this. When I don't know where I'm going, I just lose track. No, I'm really, I do know where I'm going. Seabiscuit would toy with the other horses. This is a horse now. I want you to get this. The horse would toy with the other horses and would go slow. They say, the trainers say that. The horse would just toy with them and just play with them and go, oh, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to run. You can beat me. And then just light it up. The horses got so tired of it, they wouldn't even run anymore. Do you know the same thing happens in our lives? That when we sometimes toy with, oh, well, I... And, and then the comparison game starts. And we just... And then pretty soon, you're so disappointed with your life that you stop running. That you've forgotten that God is for you and not against you. And God hasn't called you to be what everybody else is going to be. And you just need to look at life and say, God, you're for me. I will not forget that you're for me. And I will forget the things that don't matter. And I will push toward the prize. Seabiscuit is a great example for us. As we play the foolish comparison games that only God is really prepared to qualify Comparison game really is for God to do. Remember the story of Jesus and Peter and Peter sitting there and he's thinking about who's going to be great in the kingdom and who's this and who's that. And I think it's around John chapter 21. Peter looks at John and says, what about him? And God responds by telling Peter, what happens with John is none of your business. It really kind of is that blunt. Let's look at John chapter 21, verse 22. And Jesus replies, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? In other words, Peter, again, it's none of your business what I do with John. Basically, you worry about you. You worry about you, Peter. As for you... Follow me. I don't know if any of you guys, and I will ask for a raise of hand, I mean, for your hands to raise here because I know, I'm pretty sure this happened. How many of you ever got a bad grade in school and you told your mom or dad that somebody else did worse than you? Anybody? 
Come on. Raise them up high. Be proud. Yeah. Oh, it happened to me all the time. And what did your parents say? Same thing. They all go to the same parenting class. I don't care what Sally or Bobby does. I'm only concerned with what you do. Right? I think they all go to the same class. Women go to the same class before marriage, and they say the same things, guys. And parents go to the same class. Kids, you're going to get it no matter where you live. I am amazed that we spend our time comparing ourselves to one another when really Jesus is saying, it's none of your business. You just follow me. You do your best job to follow me and I'll take care of them. What's the cure for disappointment? Is there really a cure or are you just supposed to deal with disappointment the rest of your life? Is there really something I can do to help fight off this disappointment? Do I, do I have to live with the hurts of my past? I believe there really is a way to deal with it. The devil has used the tool of disappointment long enough in your lives. We're finishing up Christmas, getting ready to go to New Year's, and you're probably dealing with something that you didn't do this year, something that you said at the beginning of the year, I'm going to make happen, and it didn't happen, and you're constantly being barraged by your brain going, I can't believe you're a failure. You haven't done what you said you were going to do. You've let all those expenses just pile up. You've allowed yourself to become weak and anemic in your relationship with God, and you said this year it wasn't going to happen. Guys... There's a cure. There's a cure. First, we must let go. See, the Jews had to let go of their memories of the first temple. This temple that they're building now would never be as grand durus. It would never be as grand and great. It would never stand the test of time like the first temple, like Solomon's temple. But they had to let go of that. In a spiritual sense, we have to do the same thing. Quit always looking behind you at past painful memories. It may mean that you have to forgive someone that hurts you. It may even mean that they won't admit they hurt you and you still have to forgive them. It may be that you have to let go of some dreams that have pulled you in the wrong direction. I don't mean let go of dreams that God has given you. But some of us have dreams that God didn't give us. And they're taking us further away from God's vision in our life than they're taking us toward his vision for our life. Regardless of what it is, it's holding you back. And you need to let go. Together we can let go. As hard as it may be to let go of your past, until you do, you'll never move to the new place. There's a story. I'm going to try to move this. I feel like I'm clicking too much. Am I clicking too much? Yes, I am. As just as I am. I'm going to read this story to you. Dr. Park Tucker, former chaplain of the Federal Penitentiary in Atlanta, Georgia, told of walking down a certain street in a certain city feeling low and depressed and worried about life in general. As he walked along, he lifted up his eyes for a moment to a window of a funeral home across the street. He blinked his eyes a couple of times and rubbed them, wondering if his eyes were deceiving him. But sure enough, 
he saw in the window of that funeral home a sign that said in large, bold letters, why walk around half dead? We can bury you for $69.50. P.S. We give food stamps. Tucker said the humor was good medicine for his soul that day. The problem is that some people are walking around half dead. We're allowing our disappointments and our discouragements to cause us to feel like no matter what path we go, we're just going to end up giving up because it's never going to happen for us. Can I tell you that's a lie of the devil? We must let go of some things. Secondly, we must look up. In this scripture in Haggai, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, the people were called to look up. They were called to turn their eyes away from the pain of the past, turn their eyes away from their problems, turn their eyes away from the disappointments to view God. Six times in this verse of scripture, God is called the Lord of hosts. And that word host is translated to mean it speaks to the armies of the heaven and earth. It literally means the Lord Almighty, which is a term for God in military terms. That he is going to fight your battles. To remember that whoever comes against you is coming against the armies of heaven and earth. No one can stand against it. No one can hinder you. If you will allow yourself to get out of the disappointments and discouragements of your past and quit comparing yourself to others, God will help you because you get your eyes off of them and get your eyes on him. The same God that stood with David when he went up against Goliath. If you remember the story, the armies of Israel kept saying, we're never going to win this battle. We're never going to win this battle. And David walked up, said, it's not going to be me, but it's going to be the God of Israel that's going to fight this battle for me. Guys, we keep comparing ourselves to Saul. And we keep comparing ourselves to the armies that are on Israel's side. And even worse, we compare ourselves to the enemy that's against us and we think we can never win. But you've got to stop. You've got to stop doing that. And we've got to get our eyes on Jesus. He's big enough to handle any situation and challenge you face. He's big enough to handle every disappointment you've ever had. He's able to handle it and we must look to him and get a new view of God. Let's look. Close your eyes and see a vision of God. Take just a moment to say, this is what I view God as. When you stop, you probably have a vision of God that is bigger than life. But can I tell you, no matter what your image of God is, and we all have images of who God is. Some of seem as a, cosmic myth. It doesn't matter what your view of God is. I want you to hear me today. Whatever and however you view God, he's bigger. Our feeble minds cannot conceive how big God is. 
And so however big you've made him, he's bigger. I mean, you, you remember the, the, the scripture in the Bible where the earth is his footstool. Sometimes I see God sitting on this cosmic chair with his feet on the earth and you go, oh, that's how big God is. He's bigger. He's bigger than our imaginations can make him. And we've made an image of God that says he can't handle this. But can I tell you, he can. We must look to him. Third thing you got to do if you're going to conquer disappointments is you got to look ahead. Stop dwelling on what the former temple looked like. How many times do we hear this in church? Oh, well, I remember back in the glory days. I remember when church used to be like this. Or when we used to have camp meeting, it just felt like the glory came in. Yes, it did. But that doesn't mean that the former glory is going to be greater than the glory to come. We must look ahead. God will shake the nations Haggai chapter 2 verse 6 and 7 says, For this is what the Lord of the army, heaven's army says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth and the ocean and the dry land. I will shake all nations and the treasures of all nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's army. This passage is quoted again in Hebrews chapter 12. And it links to the coming of the Messiah. Taking together, it tells us that God is going to shake the world. And he does. He gave the law and it shook the world. He gave his son and it shook the world. He's coming again and it will shake the world. And you need to know that one day... All the false religions and all the false ideas and everything that has tried to stand up against God will fall. But we need to know that what we've placed in our lives is greater than God is going to fall as well. In the past, there's always been a great nation. The Palestinians, though, the Persians were toppled by the Babylonians, and the Greeks were defeated by the Persians, and the Romans were defeated by the, were, uh, conquered the Greeks, and so on. It goes down the line. The nations are constantly changing and being shaken. And can I give you a newsflash this morning that America is not God's chosen nation? Israel is. So when we start thinking, oh, America's got it made, America can't be shaken, you better hang on to your boots, folks. Because if we continue to turn our hearts away from God, he is going to bring a shaking to us as well. And we don't have to exist. He chooses to allow us to exist. And look at what's happening now. Our world is turned upside down. What will be left in that day when he shakes? Things that can't be shaken will still stand. The word of God will stand. His kingdom will stand. Things of the spirit will stand. The truth of his word will stand. Your soul will stand. And that future is worth looking to. So when you start being discouraged by what's happening today, the great news you have in your life is to say, 
this is only a momentary setback. It is only a moment in my life and in eternity. This too shall pass. Don't be discouraged. The future is worth looking to. Second thing you can do is desire, the desire of all nations will come. I'm going to jump, I'm going to jump forward just a little and I'm going to go to the next one. The latter glory will be greater than the former glory. Haggai chapter 2 verse 7 and then verse 9 says, I will shake all the nations. The treasures of the nations will be brought to this temple and I will fill the place with the glory, says the Lord of the heaven's army. The future glory of this temple will be greater than the past glory, says the Lord of the heaven's army. And in this place I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. How could this be possible? We know what Solomon's temple looked like. We know that there's no way this pitiful excuse for a temple could ever be that grand. But what they didn't know was in 500 years, that temple would be the temple that brought in the Son of God. It would be the temple where Jesus was dedicated. It would be the temple where he was brought after his birth. That temple would stand above all the other temples as being the place where Jesus was born. See, we don't really know what the future holds. See, we get in our limited view, a limited view of God, but we also get in our minds a limited view of future. What could God do with me? What will he be? I mean, we've all heard the story of Billy Graham and his salvation experience. Billy Sunday brought a man to Christ and after he came to Christ, he evangelized for years. Never seen much result. One day a man came and knelt at his altar, a young boy. That man ended up being Billy Graham. Over 300,000 conversions in his ministry. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. Quit being consumed by it today. Look toward the future. There's a story of David Brainerd. David Brainerd was a missionary to the American Indians. It was back in the 1700s. David Brainerd decided that he wanted to minister to the American Indian. And he, he went out to, to, win the, to win them. And over the course of time, he faced disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And he began to be discouraged that they would never be able to embrace Christ's love. You see, the American Indians had seen too much of American greed and abuse to believe Brainerd's story of a Christ that would bring grace. Brainerd wrote in his journal, my heart sunk. It seemed to me that I'd never have any success among these Indians. My soul was weary of my life. I longed for death. For two years, nothing happened. And as he constantly battled disappointments and discouragement, finally, after three and a half years into his work, he saw 
150 Native Americans come to Christ. That doesn't seem like a whole lot in today's mass evangelistic efforts that we see on TV. But it was a start. The bad thing is that after all that time, he died a year later, only at the age of 29. His work seemed to be done. But his journals got in the hands of a gentleman named um, Carey. And William Carey was what we would call the modern day missions movement. William Carey went around the world and when asked, how did you get into missions? How did your heart fall to missions? How did you have such a passion for missions? He goes back and he said, I remember reading the journals of David Brainerd and how he devoted his life to missions. God used David Brainerd far beyond his limits. Last thing, we must get, get to work. Verse 4, God tells the people to be strong and to work. We will sit around and stew about all the things that don't work our way. I'm so disappointed. I'm so discouraged. I'm so down. I'm so out of it. I just can't seem to get motivated. I just can't seem to go anywhere. I just can't seem to get moving. And what we do is we allow our disappointments and our discouragements to derail us from moving forward in Christ and doing what he's called us to do. Romans chapter 13 verse 11 says, this is all more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed the night is almost gone and the, the day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds and your dirty clothes and put on shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in darkness of wild parties and drunkenness, sexual promiscuity and immoral living in quarreling and jealousy instead clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires see we can all live with a mountain of disappointment all of us in this room have had disappointment come our way and we can allow it to paralyze us and never do the work of God me and Michelle were talking the other day and we were talking about all the, all the disasters. I don't mean natural disasters. I'm talking about in the church. All of the stuff that has come out in the last couple of months. During this COVID time, Michelle said that she heard someone say that things were going to be uncovered. Guys, it's been uncovered. There's a mess of stuff that's happened. And I don't want to throw any of those ministers or ministries under the bus. But there's a ton of it out there. People that we looked up to and people that we had, we had resolve in our heart that those were truly men of God have left the faith. And if they haven't left the faith, they have destroyed the witness of the faith around the world because people had confidence in them. And what we did was we started comparing them to Jesus. Oh, well, they're as good as Jesus. They've got the power of Jesus. They've got the heart of Jesus. And then when they fall, it hurts the witness of God. And I looked at Michelle and I said, we may not be perfect. But if God will help us, we're not going to be those people right now.
don't know what the future holds. I'm, I have gotten to the place that nothing surprises me anymore. Maybe you're with me. Doesn't matter who they are. Doesn't matter how high the pedestal is. I am never amazed or, or caught off guard when someone says, well, so-and-so fell. You know why? As bad as I hate to admit it, we've gotten used to it. We've gotten used to it. We just expect it. But it's time that we clothe ourselves with godliness, with purity, and put away evil desires and say, you know what? There's work to be done. And we have allowed the enemy to use the tool of disappointment and discouragement for too long. And it's made us weak. Oh, I can't trust those people. They're never going to believe in me. They're never going to see what you see in me, God. I told one guy. It's a friend of mine. He's a minister in the state. He came to me the other, uh, it's probably been four or five years ago. He's pastoring a church. It was a new plant. And he was, he was kind of struggling. Plant was doing well. They were, they were growing. And he had went to the overseer to talk to him about something, to our administrative bishop. And he gets there. And he comes to me and he said, Mark, I need to ask you something. He said, I don't think he knows my name. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I mean, I, I sat down and talked with him for probably 30 minutes in his office. And he said, I saw him at a meeting. And he said, I said, hey, hey, Bishop. And he goes, hey, um, and he was trying to remember my name, Mark. I said, listen, you need to remember one thing. Doesn't matter how many people remember your name. It's that God knows your name. Can I tell you the rest of the story? But about a year and a half later, a church came open just down the road from him. A nice building. Michelle had preached there before. The church had gone through a turmoil, a, a pastor change that did not go well. Actually, it was a, a pastor left the church, left the ministry. And it, it, it was kind of in an upheaval. And they said, we want you to go to this church. And you can bring your church with you and you'll have a building and you'll no longer have to be setting up and tearing down. And you can go there and that'll become your building. And he went there and because he's a good leader, he took those churches and molded them and brought them together. Running about, oh, I don't know, about five, six hundred now, I think. And a couple of weeks ago, and I don't want to, if anybody's listening to this, they put the pieces of the story together. He was elected to the state council for the first time in our state the other day. And as I walked out of the building, I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me. And I turned around and went to him and I said, do you remember a conversation we had about four years ago? That nobody knew your name. I said, but God knew you. And he put his hand on you. He was taking care of stuff. And now today, my friend, you're elected to the highest office in North Georgia in the church of God. And you're serving on a state council that you never even thought because I can remember sitting in seats and he go, man, I sure wish I could be on the youth board. I sure wish I could be on the youth board. And now he's on the state council. Why? Not because he did any promoting, but because God knew his, knew his name. All the disappointments of your past need to fall at the feet of Jesus. Would you stand with me?
I know without a shadow of a doubt that there's people in the room that are disappointed. I hope you're not disappointed in your gifts from this past week. Some of us are disappointed that our families couldn't be with us. I get it. We're preparing for a wedding. I'm disappointed in my checking account. Really? I'm disappointed that it's possible that people that are very close to my daughter, her grandparents, may not be able to be at a wedding because of a virus. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed in a lot of things in life. But can I allow that disappointment to hinder me from going forward? See, that's the question I have to ask myself every day. And it's a question you need to ask yourself. Because we all have disappointments. But is there something that's keeping you from moving forward? Do you continue to look back at the former days and go, God, I wish I could go back there. I wish I could go back to that temple. I wish I could go back to how beautiful it was and how great things were. Or are you willing to say, God, I'm not going to compare to that. And I'm going to look forward. I'm going to keep my eyes on you. Would you bow your heads with me? I, I just want to I I pray for you. But I first, and I know you may think this is foolish and, and overkill because you go, Mark, I'm dealing with this in my own heart. But sometimes I'm telling you it is important that we acknowledge because what's in behind the curtain can keep hidden things that need to be exposed. Nobody's going to ask you to come forward and announce what your disappointments are or what's, what's holding you back. But if you're sitting here today, standing here today, and you say, Mark, I'm dealing with a disappointment that I haven't really dealt with. I mean, I didn't really realize it until you started talking today. And as you've been talking, I realized that there's some things I need to deal with. Some disappointments and some discouragements that I need to put behind me. And I've been looking to the former things rather than looking forward to what you have for me. I've had my eyes comparing myself rather than I have been really sincerely looking to God. And today, I want you to pray for me that discouragement will no longer have a hold in my life. Would you just slip your hand up? Nobody's going to ask you to come forward and, and, and come down. But you say, Mark, I've been dealing with some dis discouragement and some disappointment that I need to deal with today. Yes, thank you. Thank you, yes. Anybody else? Disappointment and discouragement can hinder us. It will hinder us. The devil has a toolbox and he's been using it on us and he will fight us and defeat us. So if you've got your hands raised, I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, right now, you see the hands that are before you. God, we've all dealt with disappointment. We've all had to handle it somehow in our lives. Some of us have got angry. Some of us have just laid down and given up. Some of us have have fought through it and we've, we're on the other side and we're winning. 
some of us today, God, are acknowledging that we need your help. That the discouragement has hindered us. Has, has hampered us. Oh, we're still moving. We're still moving. But we keep looking back to the former temple. It was beautiful. It was shiny. It was valuable. But God, today I, I ask you to allow us to crucify that. To bring it to your feet. And to look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. Don't allow discouragement to hold us bound anymore. We will not be defeated by this anymore. We will stand up and declare the works of the Lord. We will remember that he who has brought us this far is able to keep us and he will stand with us. And we will go forward in the name of the Lord with our eyes fixed on him. Lord, if there's people that may have raised their hands today that don't know you personally, that maybe they knew you in the past and they have allowed that relationship with you to wane and it's really been hard to keep their eyes on you because they've been trying to do everything in their own power and in their own strength. And today, God, they, they're simply surrendering their lives to you. Saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. We ask you to come in and make residence in our lives guide us and direct us and help us to get past those things that have hindered us the disappointments and discouragements of the past will no longer hold us captive that we will move forward in the power of your spirit in your name we pray amen amen thank you for listening to today's sunday podcast if you'd like to hear more of the mark and michelle davenport sunday podcast Please subscribe to our podcast at Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast. You can also learn more about our churches by following our social media pages, or you can visit us at griffincenterpointchurch.com or citylightchurch.net. Music for today's podcast is provided by purpleplanet.com.